0: With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland
1: This is the Art Show on KCLR With Unanee Valdanig Good evening, you're very, very welcome along to the Art Show. There's a smile in my voice because I'm joined by some very artistic company and they're dancing around the studio. They just cannot help themselves. We have, actually this is, by the way, our second last show. It's the penultimate performance, if you will. So I cannot believe how quickly that has gone. What a great pleasure it has been to meet so many super artists from all over Kilkenny and Carlo. And more of that to come this evening because coming up, we're going to be meeting one of the artists we profiled a number of weeks ago, author Brendan Casey. He'll be coming in, well actually he's here already, spoiler alert, he's here <laughs> waiting and only down to get chatting to us about his writing, um, working with an Enright and he's going to read a little bit from his debut novel She That Lays Silent Like Upon Our Shore. We'll also be welcoming into studio a man who is very well known in Kilkenny Musical Circle, songwriter and performer Mick Welsh. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mick. You can correct me when you come in if I'm not. He's going to be coming in to chat and also to share a little bit of his new music. But first this evening... I've got two wonderful artistic ladies, Ida Morrissey and Mags Whiteley in studio with me to talk about something fabulous that's happening in Roth House this weekend. So, ladies, you're very welcome. Thank Thank you. you. You So happy to be here. You are, because you're smiling and dancing. That is the (laughs) essence of happiness, isn't it? So tell me, I think this is your brainchild, Ida, if I'm not mistaken. So tell me a little bit about From the Heart.
0: Yeah, From the Heart is a collaborative community engaged project that, um, well, with the thanks of the Kilkenny County Council's um, funding from the decade of centenaries, um, it came about because I'm interested in stories and I'm interested in people and what challenges they get faced with. And so I was curious to know what it was like for people back in 1923, at the end of the Civil War. And not like we hear about the history and we can read about that, but I wanted to know what it was like for people, and these
1: are stories from the heart, what were their challenges So, um, and, and sorry, just before we go on to, was there a particular reason why you chose that moment in, in our history post-Civil War? It was, well, it was a grant from the County Council, so it kind of It was linked, it, to, the, it was to,
0: linked that, to okay, that. yeah, the 1923 centenary celebrations um, and yeah, the aftermath, do you know I'm, I'm always curious, like sometimes we mark these big occasions, but then the story doesn't end, do you know? Um, and so when I was um, working with the Kilkenny Writers Anonymous, I was so curious to bring in a lot more of a you know, creative and artistic license that they could use rather than just writing about facts and bring them on a journey where we could discover what it was like for these women um, during this time. And particularly women. Yes, yes. I mean, it just seems to be a thread through all my work. Um, just because there's, um, yeah, because I am a woman
1: and sometimes these stories don't get told. They really don't. And I love that the arts does that because very often it's very difficult from a factual perspective to go back and find the participation of women in some of those events. Did you have, because I don't know if, if listeners can pick this up, but that is an Australian accent that we're hearing. Yes. I don't know how long you've been in Ireland. Oh, oh God, 20 years. 20 but, years, OK. Um, but I have been, I'm born
0: here, so I'm, I'm as... Irish, as Irish as they can be. I was born in St. Luke's,
1: um, but I grew up in Australia. Okay. And did you know the history of, because a lot of people would Say and i think it's it's probably true that those divisions that came post civil war still exist like oh, right yeah. across the, the political spectrum within families in terms of our loyalty would you be have been aware of that history mm-hmm. and that not not in
0: the same way that um, people here have been um, you know my mother wasn't um, political at all do you know but when i actually i think it's something that's been carried through through all of our, you know, our DNA, our bones, we feel it. But when I get working with people and exposing and, like, talking about these stories, these family stories, that's when things come up that I'm so interested in, because they're still there, these divisions. Subtle, very subtle, but it's um, fascinating when they come up.
1: So, I got carried away there, but to go back to your workshop, so you then had a workshop. How did that pan out, and where did the stories come from once you got to the workshop stage?
0: So, I was really lucky to work with a great group um, of the Kilkenny's Writers Anonymous and they basically I bring them on a journey a creative kind of workshop and plant them with a seed of um, just an idea and then get them to go writing and I say write Um, beep Uh, is is, the right crap basically initially and then I take them on the journey to to where we can edit it to where we can form it so it could be a production a a performance
1: and from there you've got these pieces that are going to be performed by Mags Whiteley and company this weekend. So, Mags, we're going to bring you in. Can you tell us a little bit about the part that you play in what's going to happen in Roth House this weekend? Well, I'm playing the role of a mother who has to make a difficult decision over her grandchild. Her daughter has had a child out of wedlock and she's not sure of the backstory. And the daughter doesn't survive, but the church is obviously encouraging the mother to give the child up. And she has to make a decision on whether or not she's going to do that. So it's just kind of talking about That space in Ireland when, you know, it wasn't really women weren't given a choice to keep a child, be it a daughter or a granddaughter. So it's how she comes to the decision of whether or not to keep the child. It's a very touching piece. And is it a monologue? Or it's is, a monologue, It's a yes. monologue. So are they all monologs all monologues, yes. OK, I actually love that art form. Yeah. I think you can really get an insight into a character that other, possibly other writing doesn't doesn't get us. But that sounds brilliant. I was saying to Mags in the, before we came on here there, the, the last thing I saw her in was the Barnstorm lunchtime theatre where she did unspoken tension and she was excellent. We got into a big talk, chat about accents and all of that. But <laughs> that's you. not what we're here to talk about tonight. Um, is there anything, I suppose, surprising that came out of the oh, work? Because I'm already surprised by yes. that, that theme that's running through this. Anything else? Oh, my God. The magic that is woven
0: when you bring people together. And, um, for example, I just brought this idea to this writers' group. And within a moment, the um, a gentleman that was just sitting beside me had a kind of full-on experience of, this is a story I have to tell. It's a personal story of his past, of his great grandmother, and he's never told this before. But he felt really, really strongly to tell this story. Another story that was um, that was created. The performer was actually I just I chose um, who was going to perform each uh, monologue, and I just gave it to her, and she then told me afterwards, "This is a story that happened to her grandfather." And I mean, unbeknownst. So these things weave together magically when we just allow it. That's the creative space, and that's what I love. Um, but these are all deeply personal stories, and whether they're um, they're all kind of based on on facts, um, and then inspired by the creative. Uh, Juices of each each writer and performer. Oh, that sounds just fabulous! So, and we've sorry, I have to also mention we've got a beautiful har- harpist coming and a traditional Irish musician going to be accompanying the the performers as well. So, so some of the pieces have music, or all of yes, them. Oh, we'll have w- all music of them woven in between
1: and at the start and at the end. Okay, well, ladies, don't go away because we're going to bring in Brendan after the break, and we're going to have a chat because Brendan is also from Australia. We're going to have <laughs> a little reunion here, and um, we're going to be chatting to Brendan about his novel and lots more besides so stay with us and we'll be back right after these as I stretch over slowly to try and get my ads here we go You're listening to The Art Show on KCLR
0: with Inanee Valdanig brought to you thanks to Colcanny County Council Arts
1: Office and Creative Ireland Yes, I'm back and I'm here chatting with Ita Morrissey and Mags Whiteley about their lovely event that's happening in Roth House this weekend. So ladies, do one of you want to remind us where it's on, when it's on and how we can get tickets?
0: Yes, of course. So it is on at Roth House this weekend, Friday the 17th at 7pm, Saturday the 18th at 7pm and Sunday the 19th at 3pm and tickets are available on Eventbrite from the heart and they're only five euros. It's really um, a community event so all are welcome, family, um, all ages and it'll be great to see
1: everybody there to support these beautiful works. It would be but also a treat to see Max Whiteley on stage always. Oh, and what a fabulous... <laughs> <Thank you. Yeah. laughs> I'd say that even if you weren't here, Max. Oh, but you. also the setting is beautiful. If you've oh, never been to Roth House, oh, I mean, yeah. that in itself is worth a visit, I is yeah. it? That, The venue should sell it on its own. Yes, yeah. and you, and, and you as and well. Me, of course, thanks. <laughs> Listen, let's bring Brendan Casey, author extraordinaire, into the conversation. And we had a lovely moment of comedy when Ida and Brendan hugged and embraced out in the lobby and we wondered, was there a story there? But apparently there isn't. Oh, no, OK, we'll make one
0: <laughs> Well, he's, look,
1: he's he's blushing right now. <laughs> he's he's not. I can confirm that he's not. So I I don't know if this is just your uh, license, That's your artistic, artistic license. license. I tend to go off with the fairies. Yeah. Yes, but I thought you might have met in artistic uh, circles. But it, but it isn't that. But let me ask you both. What well you were born in Ireland, but Brendan, what brought
2: you over here? Well, my uh, grandmother was born here, so uh, and I sort of grew up with the whole, you know, expat Irish, you know, they were very much ingrained in the Irish community over there. So, I mean, it was inevitable that I would end up here at some stage. I didn't think it would be, you know, 20 years down the track that I'd still be here. But you but
1: came, uh, didn't you, in 99 I and did. then... You went back to Australia, right. but then four years later you came back again.
2: Yeah, I came back in two thousand three. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I was here for you know just under a year the first time, and just met some great people, and and kind of came back to home away from home. So, okay,
1: and never right. left. And now you're in Inishtig.
2: I'm in Innistig and I've been there since uh, mid sort of two thousand fourteen. So coming up to 10 years, it's okay. you know, I love it out there, it's beautiful. Now I haven't, I've been away a little bit, like recently, um, I'm hoping to get back like and spend a bit more time over the winter and get back into some hardcore riding.
1: It's a little uh, artistic hub, isn't it, in a lot of ways, or it, it seems to be.
2: Yeah, well I mean it's, I think, you know, there's a lot that appeals about the place, you know, for people, particularly for, for me, uh, you know, for riding and finding somewhere quiet and it worked out really well, I couldn't have hoped for anything better really, like, when I came back and, and moved out to Ennishtig and found a little cottage and started writing away.
1: OK, well, we're going to get to the writing, but just before, because Mags and um I, I think, have to go shortly, but I'm going to ask you all a question, the same question. It might be particularly relevant to the two writers, but, Mags, you can put yourself into this as well. So we'll start with Brendan, I think. Brendan, would you rather write an unheralded literary classic or a best-selling novel?
2: Um, well, I honest mean, answer. Mm. Honest answer. Well, I mean, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> can, can I do both? Can no, do both? No, no. One no. or other. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, no. Uh, honestly, I, I would really prefer to write something that that did. Stay with people for you know uh, for a prolonged period of time, I guess. So, we're uh, talking about the novel then? Uh, yes, talking about a novel. You, I mean, the best selling novel is your choice. No, no, I would rather write a, a classic, I guess. I mean, it's a bit. Okay,
1: that's an unsatisfactory answer.
0: <laughs> Isa, can you do well, better? I was just going to say, I'm doing the bestseller because I want to reach as many people. Because the bestseller didn't say it had to be good or bad, right? Okay. Um, like, so, report, I'm going to go for the bestseller. It's going to reach as many people because okay. I'm about.
1: And that's where I thought you were going with that because because. because I thought you wanted people to read your work, which I always think if somebody doesn't get it and appreciate it, does it happen Did, does it matter to me I need that validation
2: if it's a classic though that's obviously a reach though. I mean it can only be a classic if a lot of people but haven't. you'll be long gone Brendan by the time you realise that your work yeah, was yeah, so you've
1: got to make your He's choice a humble artist is like <laughs> I'll be not, dead a no, hundred no. years and finally they'll catch okay, up Mags, happy have, medium would be lovely happy medium that's not possible it's one or the other Megs, let me find one that I'd like for you um You don't write, do you? Gosh, no. No. I'm I'm
2: always overawed by people that write. I just feel it's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, that's because you you own everything that you get. So that's what you're doing. Okay, let me give you this. Do you sing? I do. Okay, well, here's one for you then. Would you rather be a one-hit wonder or in a struggling but really good cult band... I'd like the struggling cult band, believe it or not. But then I've always said I'd like to come back as a male rock star, so... <laughs> OK, well, that would fit that, that moment very well, I would say. Um, ladies, when you feel like leaving, you're more than welcome to do. Or if you feel like staying, we'd love you to stay so as as you as you like. But we're going to turn our attention to Brendan for a moment. So, Brendan, talk. let's talk about your novel. And can we start with how it's written? Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so it's written in uh, invented dialect but uh, specifically by a group of people who are living on an isolated island. So I guess in some ways it it was a logical decision because, you know, they're going to develop people left alone in sort of isolation are going to develop their own idiosyncratic way of speaking. I mean, you can tell that Ireland, obviously, there's so many. It's not the case as such in in Australia, Um, but in in Ireland, you know, there are a lot of different dialects, as we all know. So in some ways, it's logical. It was logical for me.
1: Give us a little bit, just so people can make sense of that, tell us about, I suppose, the background to. the novel that you wrote. I know you heard a song Yes. and the song was called A Beast Washed Ashore by yeah. White Hinterland. So that inspired you to create this story. So you might take it up there where the story and the dialect fits into that story. Yeah, comes from.
2: So, I, yeah, I mean, I was just sort of, uh, you know, living out in Inishtig and randomly listening to a lot of music that I hadn't had a chance to listen to before. And this one song came up and you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to say if that would actually happen now if, if I was listening to the same song, but um, at the time it just it just sort of grabbed a hold of me and this whole sort of world you know as I listened to the song kept listening to the song this whole world sort of developed which was great and I mean it's a it was unexpected and there was a moment when I thought you know are you really going to write a novel about a beached whale which is a central character of the book um and I hesitated at that very briefly and then just thought no this is exactly what I'm going to do um so, yeah, the, the then there was a main protagonist that's sort of a young boy. And um, so, yeah, he comes from this community and they all speak in that way. But in a lot of ways, it's part of his character, you know, and it's uh, part of the way he expresses himself. And it allows, it allowed me as a writer to develop his character through, I mean, all writers do that, obviously, but uh, maybe specifically when you write in a dialect, it really becomes ingrained in the character and they become a bit inseparable. And of course, you know, there was, given that it came from music, there's a certain musicality about the about the language.
1: I just wonder, does hmm. making up a dialect make your job as a writer more difficult? It would seem to add another challenge. Yes. Yes. Or does it make it easier because you
2: can write whatever the heck you want? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit of both, if I'm to be honest. Again, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence, but it's true. Uh, you know, the strictures of having that that sort of architecture or boundary, you might say, with the language, it does actually help you at times. Occasionally, there, there would be, you'd run into trouble with it. But in, in some instances, it actually, you know, you get into the rhythm of it and it's actually easier.
1: Okay, let's help our listeners to get into the rhythm of it by okay. maybe taking a little piece from the book could we do that yep yep, so you can pick any bit you want but it's something that maybe might give us an insight into how it's written and the story perhaps or or whatever you fancy Brendan
2: okay well I'll I'll read from the beginning it's probably best Okay. it sets the scene You know. yep go for it um, yeah so it were cold in the morning first I saw Levy thrashing again the edge of the world mind she were not caught that then and I did not know her sex I thought she were a beast like me a great glistening beast stretched belligerent-like across the earth. Knowing well she had no right to be here, except the one she forced upon it. i have been living in the old abandoned Bothy for the past long while, because it were quiet there and I were left alone. It were peaceful, some, except for the rookery of seabirds what squawked like the devil every time I passed. More often than not, I squawked back at them and flapped mine arms the way they did me. Except they used their wings, of course. It pleased them none when I did that and they squawked harder and created a god awful din as though I were the cheekiest thing they ever saw. I taught my son not to squawk at him so. That is the way of the birds I said to my son. Still it could not be helped. As soon as they started up I squawked right back at him. The child I am like that. I were guiled but that is the only choice a soul has in the waste, as this part of the quag is note. The quag is an island, it is the world more or less on which there is naught except sea and sin, where everything drops off into the great abyss, or darkness, or hell, as it is otherwise known. It is called the Waste on account of the fact it is rocky and infertile, but also because it is unconsecrated and godforsaken and the like. The Wastelands, its true and proper name, were anything beyond the limits of the village. I still wore the clothes of those what lived there, but it groat some in the long while I have been out here, so things were getting scant in the arms and legs. The boots were no more than flaps of leather, but were bound and kept together with twine. I could not afford to discard them, though, for I'd freeze out here without, I'm sure and certain. It were fortunate I'd lost a considerable amount of fat, so the clothes set upon me fine so? <laughs> I
1: like that. <laughs> That's a nice point to end. Actually, when you listen to it, the dialect is less evident somehow, yeah. but when I was reading some of it, mm-hmm. I, I I was much more aware of it because the words weren't written as I expected them to be.
2: Yeah. The book is spoken, so uh, in in a lot of sense, it's, you know, it's almost... Uh, written to be to to be read mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the the protagonist is speaking to you the whole time throughout the book it's it 's the first person obviously, and that continues on throughout the entire book so yeah i mean i I, I think you know for it to be read is is actually out of the book because yes. the protagonist is speaking to you the whole time so. so maybe
1: read it out loud Well actually some of the bits that I was reading i 've only read excerpts of it, but okay. I had to read it out loud to get the sense of it yeah. but um but it's it sounds it just it, it, it's not an an easy write, I'm figuring, but perhaps I'm wrong. I want to just um, quote what Anne Enright. I know you did some studies where you came upon upon Anne Enright, but this is what she had to say about your book. She said, an act of pure imagination. This is one of those stories that arrive fully formed in the writer's head, asking to be written first and understood later. The result is a kind of vision told with great attention to language, voice and tone. So, she says it far better than I can, but it must be fabulous to Hear somebody so incredibly good at writing say that about your work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anne was great. Yeah, and I I met her through uh, MA um, that I did in UCD. And she supervised my thesis there, and we sort of got to know each other. And and she championed the book, and and uh, sort of passed it on to her agency. But yeah, the quote was was brilliant. Like I, uh, I think um, obviously to get a quote from Anne Enright was great. Anyway, uh, but particularly that, I, I just really thought that it really summed up what I hoped someone would see in it. But um, did
1: you feel that, that you like, you had to get it out and written and then you could make sense of it retrospectively, is that really a, what happened?
2: It, it really is, it really is, and why I was so delighted with the quote, yeah. because it really did explain my process in the book. Which and she really got you. She got it, yeah, she yeah. got it, it was I couldn't, you know, as you said, you, she said it better than you, she said it better than me, you know yes, I, yes. I couldn't have put it any better either.
1: <laughs> well listen, we're going to take a short break, when we come yeah. back we will have more chats and we're also going to be joining by um, a lovely musician a local musician so don't go away stick with us we'll be back right after these with thanks to
0: Gulkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Arts Show on
1: KCLR with Unami Valdanig. You're very welcome back to the show. I'm here having a chat with Brendan Walsh. Brendan is an author and I was just asking him in the break there about his studies. He studied Russian and classical civilization, And I just need to know, Brendan, what attracted you to such study, explain all
2: Okay, well the Russian part of it is is very easy to explain Um, probably in a word it would be Dostoevsky I became fascinated, I I started reading Dostoevsky in my late teens and um, I loved you know, I loved his work and so it just got me fascinated in, in the whole 19th century Russian literary scene, which is an extremely interesting and, and fascinating period in history for, for literature. I mean, there was a lot of great writers writing around that and, time. And
1: how did you come across them? Was it part of your studies or just your own sort no, of... It, it, was, it
2: was literally a funny story. The, the, my grandmother actually said to me that, because she knew I loved reading and, and writing, and, and she said to me, you have to check out James Joyce. And so at, like in the very nascent stages of look, being able to look up online i looked at uh james joyce and incidentally you know it, it's in this article that i was reading it said um uh you know that two of the greatest writers uh, ever to have lived considered to be either Dost- dostoyevsky and james joyce and so i sort of who's this Dostoevsky character and so i started reading him actually before i ever read james joyce and uh I, I just loved it, I, and yeah. So I, I hadn't. I I wanted to be able to read Dostoevsky in Russian, which is a which is a bit notioning I have to admit. But, but you didn't.
1: Obviously, you didn't speak Russian when you were seventeen. Did you go on no. to study the language as well?
2: I did. I did in Trinity. I, I studied here in Ireland in Trinity.
1: Okay, so that's why, that's why you came here.
2: Yeah, I mean that was it's it's you know it's like, I did it like as, uh, you know I started that in two thousand and seven and. But I, I also did uh, classical civilization as well. Okay, uh, but
1: so you originally read them in English, and then went course, back and yes, read them.
2: Absolutely, my I mean, goodness, there is a challenge that you're giving yourself. I know, I know. I haven't quite conquered it. I, I, I did read White Nights by Dostoevsky in Russian a long time ago, but unfortunately, it's, most of it's gone. By the way, so. But
1: if you've read the English version first, I guess it makes it a little bit easier. Tell mm. me this: Did you like James Joyce? Anything? Um, just-
2: I, I I found sort of I, I don't know Dostoevsky was kind of more my bag, I guess. I'm t- uh, like, it's... It, I get the world of Dostoevsky is uh, quite sort of psychological, and, um, and James Joyce is obviously a, a quite a bit more cerebral, and... Um, so I, I didn't quite have the gut reaction to, okay. to James Joyce that I did Dostoevsky. Well,
1: that's I'll okay. That's okay. We're all allowed our preferences, aren't I'm, we? I
2: might be exiled. No, I don't think you will. <laughs> I think
1: many people feel that way. Trust <laughs> me. And you're speaking to someone who also feels that way. Okay. Um, tell me this. You, I know that through the Arts Council, you are on a mentorship program currently. Is, is it still ongoing?
2: It is ongoing. And I think it, it'll run up until sort of April next year, I think.
1: Okay. So how's that going? Tell Good. us
2: what... Good. Good. I've only had the one meeting with Derm Bulger as I'm actually having a mentorship with. Um, and we're planning to have one very soon, actually, I think, uh, the beginning of, of December. Um, I get like, it sort of came on the back of publication around that time. So it, it's been a bit of a strange time for me. And, and we've, so we've, all, we've met up just the once at the moment. Um, but he's great. Uh, and it's it's a privilege to be able to meet people like that and be able to talk about your work.
1: I'm sure it's amazing, but I had this question on the tip of my tongue earlier mm-hmm. on when you were talking about Anne Enright. Is it intimidating meeting evidently successful writers or I say it's a great opportunity, but I feel like I'd be very shy about presenting my work to such people.
2: Well, actually, strangely, I was sort of thinking about what you've just said today, like kind of thinking and even coming here that uh, it is very strange, say with the, the Masters, like to, to walk into a room and Anne Enright is, is taking you on as a, in a class. And there's, it's a small, fairly intimate group. I think there was 10 or maybe 11 of us in, in that class. And so it's strange, you know, to have, you know, Booker Prize winning, you know, one of the most well-known Irish writers, um, teaching your class it, it's kind of surreal but you know she's very approachable I, I think that probably has a lot to do really with the person and the personality of the person you're dealing with yes yeah, um, yeah. and you know she's, she's certainly not pulling up the ladder after her she's still sort of on the ground and very approachable and and Dermot Bolger I'd have to say the same very nice very grounded person Super
1: well Brendan we wish you the very very best of luck with your writing stay with us you're welcome to stay here but we're joined in studio by another artistic legend um, whose name I got wrong Mick Cittern Walsh you're welcome to studio I want to blame somebody else because I asked them what your name was and they said Welsh but I think that might be
3: Welsh or uh, Walsh Mick I use Citron for the music and uh, where does that come from well the proper way to spell Citron is C-I-T-T-E-R-N but there's no word in the English language C-I-T-E-R-N so I use that name to distinguish myself from other Mick Walsh so I'm up on YouTube and I use the Mick Citroen Walsh as so Anna. we know who you are yeah
1: that's a clever idea I have a little stage name um, I just want to mention you uh, would I say oversee maybe one of probably the longest running musical sen- sessions yeah. in the country on a Monday night the yeah, trial session and clears, and clears. Yeah,
3: every Monday night yeah we that's had a, a nice long crowd in last night no? yes, and yeah, we get in singers from the locality and we might have a visiting person that comes down every couple of months from Dublin that got to know about it and join.
1: And can people just rock up and join you, bring their instrument, bring their voice?
3: Well, we we kind of um, have an established crowd of people and we add on accordingly, you know what I mean? It depends. But, But what actually happens, it's more like a singer's night where people come in and sing. So uh, and we have tunes in between and on Friday, uh, Sunday not this Sunday, the following Sunday we've organised a little get together of singer-songwriters from the Kilkenny area we're meeting in Petronella there on Sunday evening at 4 o'clock for a little get-together of local songwriters in Kilkenny. Oh lovely, I and is it it to perform
1: or to write?
3: Oh, not to write no, we just have a chat among ourselves so I, I put it into the Kilkenny Music Group on Facebook and I got a few people got back to me and others would have met me anyway and they would have said, what's it about and I'd like to come in.
1: So that's happening in Petronella
3: in yeah, Kilkenny? 4 o'clock to 6 yeah, on Sunday week, on Sunday yeah, week. We, We'll see what'll happen mm-hmm. after that then OK well,
1: well, listen, you're warming up your instruments there. Do you want to tell me what you're warming up and what you're going to play for us? I think you've got a, two numbers. a
3: made by a Kilkenny man out in Tullaroan called Paddy Clear. So it's a little song I wrote three years ago called uh, Busker's Lullaby. And uh, it's going on a CD in the UK, January, February. Kind of a promotion CD for unknown artists.
1: Fabulous, Mick. I enjoy that thoroughly. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your songwriting in just a moment. We've Got a short little break to take. Yeah, I'm here yeah, with Mick Cittern Walsh, and he's playing music, and we're going to have the chats about his songwriting just after these. Um, Welcome back. I'm here with Mick Cittern Walsh, and he's been playing us a tune just before the break. There, you heard the Busker's Lullaby, a gorgeous song that you wrote. I want to ask you in a moment about your songwriting and where your inspiration comes from. But before that, I just want to mention that you have written a sum total of I believe 40 songs
3: 40 in the last 10 weeks actually I've, I've cut you off there excuse me sorry Grant. No, my mistake. I wrote 40 I, I have 40 songs registered with Imro over the last 10 years I only started writing songs 10 years ago I had to get away from doing but you know the the covers of all the Irish folk ballads. why did you have
1: to get away from that
3: because I was playing in a pub one night the fella said to me to be honest about it, he said this uh, your, um, you know box standard stuff he said do you not think he should be doing something else and I went back and did the older songs and I did and then I said well, why not go and try out my own ones
1: and did it come easily to you
3: well, you could get a, a go of about two or three to one go time like, and all of a sudden you might have a blank for a couple of months and then all of a sudden you go again. You know. So where does the inspiration come from Vic? Well, um, I try not to, I, I try to have the songs as light hearted as possible and I try and a few of them might be a little bit nostalgic but at the same time I try to keep every melody different which is, you have to fiddle around with the chords and you know, that kind of thing. You have it has to, to match. It's tricky with the to do that. And make sure that you're not going to the song's the same. Yes. Like a very good people in my family will say, that sounds a little bit like the one that i on you did before. Or yeah, yeah. They not think of change and this and change and that because I have, my, my children are musically talented, you know, so.
1: Super. And do they play with you or sing with you? They would.
3: My son plays every Monday night and my daughter is a good singer. She's in the, Isar Choir you
1: know Oh super listen we've been playing a game this evening with our other guests which is Would You Rather and I've got one for you Mick are you ready Hmm. because you've got instruments hanging off you literally in the studio this Ah, evening so my my question for you is would you rather be able to sing incredibly well or play every single instrument possible averagely
3: I would like to be able to uh, play every instrument Okay,
1: you can't sing now. What? You can't sing if you do that. But that's what you're
3: yeah. going for. It. I've I've uh, wrote a few tunes as well for. the Okay. Guitar.
1: And kamir how does so you obviously do your gig every Monday night and you do other gigs as well and I know yeah. one of the things that you started doing in the pandemic was performing online. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that.
3: Well what happened was when the pubs closed down in the very beginning, the very first week my son came up with an idea which go live. You no, know, every place is closed down, so we went live and we got a good response and then a kind of everybody started to do it and then you kind of, uh, everybody started to do it and it kind of um, you know like went down but I kept going and my son went back to his work place and I kept going on my own and I kind of built up uh, a bit of a, a following which I have now and like last Sunday night it's like a podcast that stays up for a month, and I looked at—I have around two thousand from this Sunday night by, and That's a lot. I was playing as I told you was playing last night, and a man said to me, "I heard you listened into Sunday night," and he just said to me, "How many do you have listening?" Well, he—I just saw to me said that's a lot, but it is a lot to me. Cause and I, how does
1: it compare, Mick, to say doing a live gig?
3: Um, doing a live gig, I don't do as so many live gigs as I used to, because. I'm retired. I worked 46 years in the mortar trade. So music was only a second re. It's a hobby more than anything else. I didn't derive an income, but it, Well, let's put it this way, it got me out there and, and got more to write the song since I'm retired. You know?
1: Yeah, which is great. And you're, yeah. and you're still playing and singing really well, which is wonderful. Yeah. You're going to play us out with a song in just a moment. And the song, I believe, is called Picture... The Whistling of the Wind, is that correct? Yeah. Which we look forward to hearing in just a second. Before we get to that, I wanted to just mention a few things that are coming up in Kilkenny and Carlo in, um, in the next week. A few weeks ago, Frank McNamara was in Kilkenny and he's now doing that same performance. It's Chopin by Candlelight to St Mary's Church in Carlo. That's happening this Friday, the 17th. And if you want to book tickets for that atmospheric and musical treat, you can get them on Eventbrite. But if the boss is more your bag and you didn't manage to get tickets for his concert in Nolan Park now, next May then the Watergate this Friday have maybe the next best thing it's a Bruce Springsteen tribute band they're playing at 8pm maybe you do get tickets and you just want to um, get in the mood Um, are you going to see the boss
3: um, I haven't planned no. I, planned. I, I won't go. I can hear him from the
1: house. Same, same as me. I'll be having my own back, back garden concert. And finally, if you need a laugh, then Pat Short and his daughter Faye are in the Watergate as well the following night. So that's Saturday next, um, the eighteenth at eight pm. So as ever, there's lovely stuff. And I want to mention as, as well the lovely. Will remind you of the lovely uh, performance that's going to be happening in Roth House this weekend. This Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at seven pm. Friday, Saturday at 3 pm on Sunday from the Heart. We had Ida and Mags in to tell us about those. So, Mick, you're gonna play us out with this song so you yeah. can take it away there. We'll have to cut you off in the middle. I apologise in advance, but you can take it away. <laughs>
0: Thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Unanee Valdanig.